Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Welcome back, my friend. It is wonderful to have you here with me again as we're going through the book of Philippians. And as you can tell, we are we are taking our time. We're not rushing our way through this. Some, some of these sessions, it's just going to be focusing on one little word, one gem in this incredible treasure mine. And uh, today I, I really sense my inadequacy, perhaps more than ever, in the particularly holy topic we're going to be discussing. So let's just start with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've invited us to dig into your word. And today, Lord, I want to do that with all my heart. I'm hungry for what you're going to teach me, but I'm also aware of how much I need you to guide, to guide my words, to guide my thoughts. Lord God, speak to us today from your holy word, and we thank you for the privilege of being here with you. In the name of our Savior, amen. Well, last time we spoke about the very first line in the book of Philippians, in Philippians 1.1, we talked about who it was from and the description that they call themselves servants. Today we're going to talk about who this book is to and the specific way that Paul addresses them. Of course, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to who? Well, to the Philippians, of course, but how does he address them? He says, to the saints, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. Now, there's an interesting word that we don't use very often anymore, saints. I want to try to dig into this word and really try to reclaim it for you today, because when you look at it, I think you're going to find with me that it is a breathtaking word. So what does the word saints mean? Now, if you have some footnotes in your Bible, you'll notice it probably uh, says an alternate translation is holy ones. And that's appropriate because the root word, the Greek word for saint is hagios, which means holy. But what's interesting here is he designates all of his listeners, all the recipients of this letter as saints. He's not making a distinction. They're all saints. They're all holy. What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? Well, to understand this, I think we really need to unwrap this word holy and dig back into the original meaning of what that meant to a, to a Jewish writer like Paul. What was in his mind? To understand the word holy, we have to go back to the Old Testament, and we have to start with the holiness of God. What does it mean for God to be holy? Well, the original word in Hebrew is kadosh. And linguistic scholars tell me that The original meaning of the word kadosh is to cut away, to separate, or to set apart. So it's the idea of removing something or having or or establishing a distance between one thing and another. And when we talk about God, what we're saying is, when we say that he's holy, we're saying that he is completely removed. He is other than us. He is different than us. And probably the paramount uh, example of this is in Isaiah 6. When the the angels, the holy angels and holy cherubim are surrounding God and they are calling out, holy, holy, holy. But what you have to realize is that these angels who are so otherworldly in themselves that their very voices shake the foundation of heaven itself. That when they look at God, they say, other, other, 
other. They have to cover their feet and their faces and hide from him almost as if to say, you are so different than what we are. We are small. We are we are insignificant compared to you. You are separate from us. You are entirely different, entirely other. And we start with that conception of God, and it humbles us. It makes us bow before him and realize he is far beyond what we can even imagine. But what's amazing in Scripture is that the entire Bible is the story of this holy God who crosses the great divide and reaches down and wants to pick up these dirty, filthy, sinful humans and incorporate them into his own being, into his own holiness. And that's the story of the Bible. In the Old Testament, he starts by designating certain things in this world as holy. And so he starts with the the sand around the burning bush. When he, he appears in the burning bush, he says, My presence has come here, and therefore the dust that you are standing on has become holy ground. And he designates something that was dirt before, and he says, Now it is holy because of what I have brought to this location. And then he goes on and he, he, he explains holiness to the, to the people by introducing other things that become holy, the, the tabernacle and the implements and the vessels that, that are part of it, the, the altars and the basins and, the, and the, the tent itself, the things that are a part of this temple or this tabernacle have been set aside and he designates them as being different. And that's where we get the the first understanding of the word holy is that it is something that has been set aside and dedicated for exclusive use by or for God. That's the root idea of holy. A holy object is something that has been dedicated for exclusive use for God. The illustration that comes to my mind when I think about this aspect of holiness, of being set apart, comes from my childhood, actually. Uh, My mom had a hutch in the living room filled with the fine china, and we all knew that this was the, the plates and cups and dishes that were only to be used on very special occasions. They were set apart for those special occasions. And that's when, you know, the special guests came over and we were able to pull out these beautiful plates and, and the boxed silver uh, silverware. And uh, these were, were special items set apart, dedicated for one single purpose. And we all knew that they were holy <laughs> in the sense that they were separate from everything else. I think that's the idea that God was trying to get across to his people in the Old Testament when he was, when he was separating all of these items from common use. And so he dedicates the temple and the tabernacle, and he separates it. And he says, this is no longer a normal tent. These are no longer normal vessels. You can't use these for anything else but just to worship and serve me. And so the temple becomes a holy place. In fact, inside the temple is something that's even more further removed. The Ark of the Covenant is placed in the inner temple, and it's called the Holy of Holies. It's the most holy place. It's separated from everything else, and nobody can approach it because it is other. It's different. It's dedicated to a holy God. And then God went even farther, and he began to increase the circle of holiness by designating certain people as holy, the priests, and in particular, the high priest, who was the only one allowed to go into the most holy place. 
And he was, when he did so, he was to wear this elaborate costume, this robe and beautiful uh, ornaments and a turban on his head. And on the turban was a golden plate. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 36, the plate is described like this. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, as on a seal, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. So you, so the high priest is designated as one who is holy, who is set apart and who can approach God. But it doesn't end there because God wants to widen the circle even more. And when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 14, we hear this incredible pronouncement over the entire nation of Israel. God says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Oh, man. That just gives me chills to think about God designating the, this, this entire people group as holy. He has chosen them to be his treasured possession. They have been dedicated to him, and they've been separated different than the rest of the world. Every other nation on the face of the earth is different than the holy people of God now. He has designated them as holy. And that is really what it means. That's at least that's part of what it means when Paul designates the church of God as saints. He is calling them holy. A better translation perhaps would just be they are God's people. They are dedicated to the use by and for God. They are therefore holy. They're separate from the world. They're God's now. We are his treasured possession. That's what it means to be a saint, my friend. It means that we are his treasured possession, that he has chosen us to be holy. But there is another aspect to this word holiness that we also need to grapple with. And it's, it's probably the first understanding of holiness that comes to your mind when you think of the word. And it has to do with purity of character. If we go back to the holiness of God, we, we recognize that he's not only separate from the world, separate from people, separate from angels, from everything in all creation, but also by virtue of that, he is separate from sin. He has no sin in him. There is nothing impure or unholy in his character. I saw a photograph of a, a close-up photo of the sun the other day. And there was a tiny little black mark on it. It was called a sunspot, just a little tiny blemish that you wouldn't notice unless you had this giant camera with filters and so forth. But it was a blemish on the glory of the sun. Well, God doesn't have sunspots. He has no blemishes. He is infinitely and eternally and perfectly pure in his heart and his mind and his character. He is utterly holy. And because of that, he has expectations on those people who he calls holy. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, he says, I am the Lord your God, so consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Because I am pure and clean, I expect you to be pure and clean. And so when we get to this word holy as describing the church and the people of God, it doesn't just mean God's people. It can also be translated as godly people, God-like people, people who are reflecting the character of God. 
Now, this is where I start to feel a little uncomfortable, quite honestly, because I know myself. I know my heart. I know that I have much more than just a few sunspots, and they're not just tiny blemishes. They seem to go down, straight down to the core. How could I be called a saint? How could I be considered holy in character? And of course, I'm not alone. I mean, I think this is why we sometimes think of the, the word saints. We apply it to those who seem like they are above and beyond, like the extra special Christians. They're the saints. And yet Paul makes it very clear that he is talking to every Christian in Philippi, and he labels them all as saints, as holy. He used the same word when he was talking to the Corinthians, a church that was filled with all sorts of sinful behavior, and he called them saints as well. So what is he saying here? Well, I believe that what he is revealing to us by this amazing word is that God has done something in the core of who we are. And the key to understanding this mystery is to look at the very next phrase. They are saints in Christ Jesus. You see, you can't take those two pieces apart. We are saints if and only if we are in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't have time to unpack this phrase in Christ Jesus. It's one of Paul's favorite references to our relationship to God through Christ. And he discusses it a lot in Ephesians, not as much in Philippians, but let me just boil it down to this. At the moment that you place your faith in Christ to forgive you of your sins, he does so instantly. He makes you holy in the core of who you are. He transforms your inner soul into his godliness. He establishes and puts his righteousness into your inner soul. And here's what's amazing about that. At the moment that that transformation happens in your inner man, it begins the lifelong process of working its way out until our attitudes and our mindset and our behaviors and our decisions and our choices begin to reflect the holiness of God. And it doesn't happen right away. It is a lifelong process, but it has begun in your heart if you're in Christ Jesus. The word the Bible uses to describe this is sanctification which happens to come from the same word as saint. It is the process of you who are holy becoming holy. A friend of mine once described it like this. He said there's two words in the Bible for holiness. There's holy and there's good. We are not holy because we are good. We are good because we are holy. Because of what God has done in our hearts, it is transforming our lifestyle to become conformed to the likeness of Christ. In fact, it's that very desire in your heart to want to be holy that's one of the greatest evidences that you are, in fact, in Christ Jesus. He has designated you as holy, and therefore, he's placed in you a desire to be holy. And I know we're not perfect. We still have sunspots, but we have this desire that God sanctifies us, that he changes and transforms our life and our hearts and our mind. We have a desire to be holy because and as he is holy. Think back to that high priest 
Put yourself into his place for just a moment. Imagine it is the the day of atonement, the day that you get to go into the Holy of Holies and, and worship the Lord God Almighty right there in his very presence in the cloud of his glory. Now, there is an elaborate dressing routine where he was clothed in this incredibly ornate and gorgeous robe made out of the purest and most finely crafted fibers and fabrics. Just a gorgeous robe. Imagine putting that robe on and putting that plate on your turban that says, Holy to the Lord. Now, imagine further that on this particular day, it was a, there was a rainy evening the night before. And you step from your tent to make your way to the temple and you notice that the ground, the dirt between you and the tabernacle is filled with puddles, riddled with all these muddy, grimy puddles between you and the temple. Imagine setting out to walk there. What would you do? What would be going on in your mind? Would you be looking at those puddles and thinking, Oh, man, I wish so much I could just splash in those puddles. I wish I could just get all dirty. That's not what's in your mind. You would be thinking, I want to make every effort to avoid getting any mud splashed on my robe. I want to stay clean because I'm about to step into the presence of the Almighty God. Friends, that's what it means to be a saint. It doesn't mean that we have been cleaned purely, completely uh, in all of our behavior. It means that we've been designated as holy. And so we want to make every effort to keep ourselves from splashing in the puddles on our way to meet the king. Friends, we are saints, you and I. You, You should wake up tomorrow morning and the first thought that comes to your mind is, I am a holy one. I have been chosen by God. I have been dedicated to his purposes. I have been transformed in my inner man. I am one of the holies. That is what I pray for you. In fact, that's what I want to pray over you right now. Lord God, I come before you for the saint that is listening to me at this very moment, the man or woman of God who has been transformed in his heart and is being transformed in his life and is being designated to be owned and operated by and for God alone. I thank you that you've made us holy. Now, Lord God, make us holy. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.